Today's reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 through 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we will with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Keep the mic, bro. Let's, let's preach together. Power, come on. I texted Alec this morning because the Lord totally shifted my direction, and, and that rarely happens for me. And I'm like, no, we got to come out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that we just read. And uh, he's the only guy that I've ever met who was bummed out that, that he went from like seven verses to two verses. Most people are like, just give me one. So uh, I'm super excited to uh, dive into the Word of God this morning. Uh, I want to shout out to the Lord, because it looks like it's not going to rise above 100 today, in Jesus' name. Come on, let's go. Wow. That, praise the Lord for some good weather. Uh, shout out to you guys for, for joining us this morning. Uh, I'm, as Thaddeus said, my name is Pastor Alberto. I have the honor and privilege to lead this church. Uh, and uh, I'm super excited to look into the Word. So at this point in our service, what we do is we open up the Scriptures not to learn something new, but to be transformed. Uh, you can learn a thousand things in a thousand different places. There's tons of, you can go to YouTube University and, and master uh, all sorts of skills. Uh, but this time is sacred because we're not here to learn, we're here to be transformed. And, and the scripture says that when we gather together as the saints of God and, and we come together to worship him, his spirit falls upon us and begins to do something supernatural in us that we can't do for ourselves. And that's the work of transformation. Now, I have a friend and last week he posted on, on Facebook and he was in the mountains in this really beautiful scenic place in Hawaii. And, and his caption was, oh, I just love church. And I get the sentiment because, you know, he was trying to convey that he's connecting to God by being in nature, and it was beautiful. And I think there's very well-meaningful ways that we can have devotional times with the Lord in nature, but that's not church. You see, we don't just come to church to connect with God. We come to connect with each other, the people of God. And there's no other way that this can happen unless we gather together to look into each other's faces and say, how are you doing? What's your name? What do you got going on this week? Where are you from? California. Praise God, you're in Texas now. We, you know, I get to meet a few California people every now and then. Uh, you know, the great state of Central Texas. We, we get into each other's lives and we get to know one another. And it's not simply for religious duty. It's for transformation. And so if you're here in this room and maybe you feel like you're here to check off a box or a friend invited you, I want to thank you for being here. But I want to invite you to experience a grander vision for what's happening in this room. That the almighty living God who created the heavens and the earth by simply speaking is in our midst, recreating, restoring, redeeming things that were lost to sin. So much so that you're going to walk out of here this morning and be completely transformed. Parts of your life are going to be awakened to love God in a capacity that you never knew you could. Uh, you're going to experience a whole new freedom and healing in a way uh, that is truly supernatural, transformation. Uh, I, I love the Sunday morning. I, I love church, and I love being here uh, with you guys. And so we're here to be transformed. Now, if you saw that bumper video, uh, we're in our second week of a brand new sermon series called Work. 
a, a sacred calling. And, and you might be thinking to yourself, why on earth are, are we doing a sermon series on work? I'm trying to work less. Uh, I'm trying to get out of work. I'm trying uh, to retire. I'm trying to be like one of these old guys next to me who's already clocked out. Shout out to you guys. I, I can say that because we're friends. I don't want to work. Uh, when, we, when we think about work, uh, there's often been two modes of thinking about work. It's either a blessing we're thankful for the, for the jobs that the Lord has provided. It has a decent income. We like the people that we work with. It's manageable. And so we regard it as a blessing. We, we thank the Lord for our work. Or we think it's a curse, uh, that, that, that it's the opposite of a blessing. Work is where things go to die. That's where my attitude and my emotions are depleted. It, it feels more like a desert where life withers away and you begin to look like the rest of the desert empty and dry. Now, when I say work, I don't want you to think about gainful employment, although that's one of the ways we we understand work, being employed and having a job. When I say work, I want you to think of all spectrums of work. If you're a full-time student in this room, where you at? Show your hands of full-time students. Let's go. Come on. That is your job. And it's a hard job being a full-time student. And maybe on top of that job, you have to carry a part-time job just to make ends meet. You being a student is your job. That is your work. If you're a stay-at-home parent, your work is raising and shepherding children, cultivating their hearts to see and know the Lord and preparing them to make a kingdom difference in the world. That is your work. If you're out of work, Maybe you're unemployed. Your work may be looking for work, and, 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 and that looks like seeking the Lord and being with the Lord every step of the way. Maybe you're done with work, and, and you're retired. Your full-time work is loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and, and helping others to do the same as you leverage your schedule to get into people's lives. You see, the reason we're talking about work is because we want to be disciples who follow Jesus in every single area of life. And work just happens to be one third of our lives. A generous estimate, conservative estimate is that we'll spend 90,000 hours there. Some more, some less, but it's a part of our lives that we're frequently visiting that I believe can be holy ground for radical encounters with the Lord. I truly believe that God wants to give us a vision for our work that isn't dictated by our circumstances, that isn't dictated by our boss or career or doing things that we like, but literally getting so excited to go to work because it's a place where we know that we know we're going to meet the living God and he's going to do something in our lives. And I am praying that that's the vision and heart that God gives us. Now, in order to get there, there's two lies that we need to dismantle. Two lies that will get in the way of transformation. Uh, two lies that must be removed if we want to see our work be a greenhouse where we personally grow in the Lord and cultivate a world for his glory. And those two lies are the lie of freedom and identity. If you're taking notes, the lie of freedom and identity. Let's read 2 Corinthians 3.17 and 18 again. Uh, if you're in this room and you need a Bible, uh, let's see, who's going to hand out Bibles for me? Uh, there, there, uh, my man Irwin's going to put a Bible in, in, in your hand. So if you want to shoot up your hand really quick, uh, we have those as our gift to you. We want you to look at the scriptures uh, with us and you can feel free to take that home. Shoot up your hand if you need a Bible uh, in the room. All right, cool. We're all, we're all Bibled out. Sweet, sweet. Uh, you can find one in the back if you need one uh, or, or look at the screen with me. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, 
And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Let's pray. Father, we come in Jesus' name, thankful for this time to gather and receive your word. Lord, would our hearts be good soil, fertile soil that would receive this word and yield an abundant harvest. Holy Spirit, would you remove the distractions that would get in the way um, and the thoughts that would come and and try to pluck away this seed. I, I just pray that you would come and give us focus to look into this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The lie of freedom and identity. Uh, Scholars have pointed out that there are three events in the past 500 years that have reshaped the way people view themselves in the world. In the past 500 years, there have been three specific events that has affected every single person in this room to some capacity, whether you realize it or not. The first one was the Enlightenment. The Western Enlightenment shifted the focus from community to individual. Uh, Prior to this philosophical movement, the way people viewed themselves in the world was being connected to a larger group and a larger community, a clan, a tribe, a family. And with the Enlightenment, there was a big shift from being communally identified to individually identified. Listen to these words from theologian Gordon Fee. He said, in the ancient world, Individuals were always understood in relation to their larger group. For Israel, this group was the people of God. In the Old Testament, the idea of election was centered on belonging to the elect people, although it's clear that individuals could opt out for various reasons. In the New Testament, an individual would join the people of God through faith and Jesus and the gift of the Spirit, but the overarching focus was still on the group. That is the people of God. In other words, the focus was not so much on individuals' isolated one-on-one relationship with God. Rather, it was on persons as they were part of a community, a community of faith, a community called the church. So all of a sudden, there was a shift from thinking communally, that is, taking other people into consideration when it comes to making decisions and, 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 and life decisions and, and the way you orient and conduct yourself, to now it became individualistic. Maybe I'm not so concerned with what my family thinks or how this will benefit the group. I'm more concerned about myself. The second event uh, that reshaped the way people viewed themselves in the world was the Industrial Revolution. Uh, The Industrial Revolution radically shifted the the focus of work and production from the home to the factory. Uh, Here is a stat that that captures this reality. In 1885, approximately 85% of all consumer goods in the United States were produced and consumed in the home. By 1915, just one generation later, that figure had been reversed. 15% of goods were now made in the home and 85% were made in the factory. Our society today is the fruit of that 30-year period. What this means is after the Industrial Revolution, a common question began to come up that people would identify themselves by. And you know this, you're asked this all the time. What do you do for a living? What do you do for work? 
And now people, as before, were once identified to this home, to this group structure, are now identified by what they do with their hands. So I'm a carpenter. I'm a shepherd. I am the best physical therapist in Central Texas. Shout out to you, Thaddeus. Shameless plug. He paid me 35 bucks for that. I'm just kidding. You can can pay for some advertisement placement right there. Just kidding. Now people are identified by what they do. The third event that shifted, reshaped the way people view themselves in the world was the social revolutions beginning in the 1960s. Now, a lot can be said about all these awesome revolutions, the good fruit and the bad fruit. But one thing that sociologists have pointed out was that during this time, there was a shift from the culture's understanding of authority from something which was located outside of ourselves like maybe uh, religion, your pastor, your elder, uh, an authority figure in your life, teachers, an older generation, to something which is now resided in each individual. That, That prior to this moment, authority was found outside of yourself, uh, looking for wisdom and counsel from maybe an older generation or a person who held uh, some sort of good power, Now those people have been pushed to the side and all the authority comes from within. And so what does this sound like? It sounds like doing what you believe is is best. Uh, Not taking other people's considerations into regard and you calling the shots for yourself. And so today we live in a society where that's the acceptable norm for determining one's value. It It is I decide what's best for me. The ability to determine everything for ourselves has been placed as such a high value. And so this sort of individualism, it's what's created a culture of unimaginable self-centeredness. So why does this matter? Why do these three specific events, the Enlightenment, the Industrial Revolution, and the social revolution of the 60s that we could spend way more time talking about matter for our day and age. Well, you see, these cultural moments planted the seed for a fruit that you and I have all eaten from, have all tasted. And that is a new normal way about thinking of identity that has more to do with ourselves than ever before in history. You see, in other words, uh, identity is derived from yourself and you are the sole contributor to that identity. So what do you do for a living? This is what I do. I do what I want to do. Uh, uh, Whatever I want to be when I grow up, that's what I'm pursuing. Whatever makes me feel good, that's what I'm identifying myself with. Whatever makes me happy, sign me up. That is who I am. And hear me, these things are, are not bad in and of itself, but they were never designed to be the markers by which we would attribute identity to ourselves. You see, the issue with viewing, uh, with, with viewing what you do as your identity is that you'll end up shuffling through a dozen different jobs or careers until you find the one that most satisfies you. And then when that one doesn't work out, you just go to the next one. And then once you realize that that sort of way of pursuing identity doesn't work out at all, you'll just remain where you are in a very apathetic way, counting down the hours, having a low view of yourself, because instead of hearing God's voice at work, you listen to the enemy's voice, and he begins to whisper comparison into your ear. Oh, if you had that person's job, you'd be way more happier. Or, oh, if you did this with your life, you could have this type of career. Ah, if you didn't mess up in your early 20s or got it right in your 30s or actually put some work in your 40s, everything could look so 
different. What the scriptures reveal over and over and over again is that identity, hear me, is not an attribute that you have found and formed for yourself by becoming the best version of yourself. No, hear me, there's something way better for you. Identity is a gift to behold. It is the gift of the sweet joy of belonging to God. Now in the, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faith, beholding the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Hear me. Identity is not about becoming something. It's about beholding someone. Your identity has nothing to do with what you are becoming and has everything to do with who you are beholding because who you are beholding is who you will become. It's about beholding the person you belong to. You see, kingdom identity and the model for identity in the scripture was never derived from the work that you do with your hands and about who are you, who you're becoming and the progress that you're making. No, it has more to do with who you belong to. And who you belong to will determine who you will become. Jesus says this to the Pharisees, I don't recognize you. I don't know you because God isn't your father. You're a child of the devil. And he says they belong to the enemy. And the reason Jesus says they belong to the enemy is because they look like the enemy. They're behaving like the enemy. They're acting like the enemy. Who you belong to has the ability to determine who you become. And Jesus says, if you know me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And in keeping his commandments and knowing him and loving him and beholding him, we become more like him. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, may I remind you that you belong to Jesus. You don't belong to your circumstances. You don't belong to your spouse. You don't belong to your boss. You don't belong to your best days or your worst days. You don't belong to your shame, your doubts or addictions. You belong to King Jesus. King Jesus owns you. King Jesus created you. And hear me, there is an abundant freedom in saying, God owns me. God is in charge of me. God directs and leads me. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, you belong to Jesus. This means that the direction of your life is to become more like Jesus. And so this is the reason that we gather. As we said earlier, we, we gather for transformation, to be supernaturally formed into the image of the God that we belong to. And so whether you realize it or not, we live in what some call a formation machine. We live in a world that's putting us on a conveyor belt and squeezing us and manipulating us in a dozen different places so that we can look more like whatever product is being sold out there or advertised or, or, or uplifted. We live in a formation machine. And, and what I mean by that is that there are forces, powers, rhythms, algorithms at work that are intended to form and shape and manipulate your life in such a way that you look more like the image of the world instead of the image of God. Another way of saying this is that there are things competing for your discipleship. Either Jesus is discipling you and you're fully aware of his presence at work in your life and you're fighting the good fight of faith 
or something or someone else is discipling you, strategically fighting faith in Jesus and brick by brick tearing down holiness and godliness so that you display not the glory of the Lord, but whatever is being peddled out there. You see, in in our day and age, it's not too difficult to figure out what those things that are competing for our love and devotion are. It's not too hard to figure out what things are are robbing our time with God and forming us into the image uh, of of, of a different person or system that isn't Christ. I'll give you my personal examples. Unbalanced social media habits where it's so easy to drift from one app to another. And I find myself so guilty of looking at the screen and beholding the blue light more than I behold the glory of God. You see, Greg Beale says that humans are made to reflect him. And if they do not commit themselves to him, they will not reflect him, but reflect something else. We either reflect the creator or something in creation. In other words, it is in our nature to bear the image of something. If not God, then idols. If not the creator, then creation. Now, I don't want to be the guy that says all social media is bad, but I kind of lean that way. Uh, I love posting pictures of my kids. I love showing uh, how cute my son is probably one time out of the whole month when he's not being a mess. I love showing the the, the bright, awesome sides. But if I'm honest, it's not as life-giving and healthy for me personally as I think it is. And I've seen the difference in my life when I bring balance and all of a sudden I have a different perspective and a different outlook on life because whether we realize it or not, millions of dollars are being poured into this digital age to make you a consumer, not of God's glory, but to feast on this well that promises it never ends, but it always runs empty. See, more studies are finding that it's not increasing the quality of life the way we imagine, it's, it's decreasing. And I'm not trying to shame anyone. I'm, I'm preaching to myself. I hate that I open up my phone and look at the screens more than I do at the Word some days. And if it's not unhealthy social media habits, then it's unhealthy internet habits. We're one of the few nations that has unrestricted access to the internet. That's crazy. China blocks TikTok after 10 p.m. so that youth don't get on it because they realize the negative effect it's having on their generation. And we're one of the few nations that has unrestricted access to the internet. You can watch whatever you want, look at whatever you want. There's no screen limits. You're totally in charge of how you view uh, your your, your internet activity. And what we've noticed is, is, like I said before, it's not necessarily increasing the quality of our lives, though there's good resources and good things. What more often than not is doing is distracting us from beholding the one we belong to. The uh, solution is not to abandon social media or the internet. Please don't hear me saying that. I think the solution is to invite God to help you find a healthy balance. If you find yourself beholding the digital more than the creator. You see, we live in a formation machine, a world that is competing for your discipleship. And if it's not unrestricted internet access and unbalanced social media habits, it's 
It's our work. Our work is discipling us. The work itself is forming us. The circumstances surrounding our work is discipling us. The people at our work are discipling us and will form us. If you're at home with the kids and Jesus isn't discipling you, then it's only a matter of time before the mechanism of sin at work in your heart dictates the way you view your children and treat your children. And instead of loving them and shepherding them from the heart of God, you let anger and impatience take over and it begins to rule you and dictate how you rule over them. And if Jesus isn't the one you're leaning on when you epically fail or you feel like you are out of line, it's only a matter of time before the voice of the enemy creeps in and plants all sorts of thoughts of guilt and shame. If Jesus isn't the one who is in your classroom discipling you, in the kitchen, in the shop, in the office, and something or someone else is. And it's only a matter of time before a less than ideal circumstance kicks in that causes you to find refuge in yourself rather than the Lord. And what does this look like? Processing your feelings to a coworker, but it's really gossip. Taking your bad day to the couch and negatively dumping it on your spouse while getting refilled with your beverage of choice and your show of choice instead of allowing the Lord to sift your heart and fill you with his grace. You see, if Jesus isn't discipling you, if he's not the one you're beholding, then it's only a matter of time before you behold the values embodied in the people that you work with and the environment that you find yourself in. Some of those may be good, but most of the time we find out that there's values that oppose the kingdom of God that begin to seep into our heart if it's not met with radical resistance. I overshare this story, but I think it's worth sharing. I used to hold a part-time job here in, in town at, at Walmart, working the night shift. And, and um, night, man, night shift is so much fun because um, so diverse and in, in practice and beliefs. And, and, and uh, the people I was working with wanted nothing to do with the Lord. And it was so awesome in, in a weird way to see how a new person would come in, totally innocent, totally oblivious to the surroundings. And then that person would begin to look like the rest of the crew unless there was radical resistance to stand their ground and become something greater than themselves. And so I found myself in an opportune time to practice radical resistance. I will hang out with sinners, but by God's grace, Lord, let not sin come into my heart. And I uh, got to befriend some really fun people, and uh, the questions would become, well, why don't you do what we do after hours? We're going to the square. You want to join us? I can pick you up if you can't drive back. That's, that's my thing. I'm really good at that. Uh, well, why aren't you doing this or talking like this? And it became great gospel opportunities for me to share my life and say, I'm just so in love with Jesus that I'm compelled by his love to become all that he's called me to be. And when we're, and our work presents ourselves with this awesome opportunity, if you find yourself in a circumstance where sin is seeping in to practice radical resistance, and say, I will, not be, uh, I will not conform or be formed by my environment, but I will allow the Lord to shape and mold me. See, if Jesus isn't discipling you and you're not beholding him, then it's only a matter of time before something or someone else will form and shape you. And we are with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. 
Now look at verse 17. Now the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Say that word with me, freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, remember this, there is freedom. Now why does this matter and what does this have to do with our work? Well, when we consider these three epic moments in history that reshape the way we view ourselves in the world, one of the ways that we started pursuing careers and work and identity wasn't based on what was good for the collective family and the group. Rather, it became based on what is giving me the most amount of freedom. Uh, what, What job or what career is going to give me the most substantial amount of money so I can fund all the desires of my flesh? What job or what career is going to give me the most amount of free time so that I can use all of that time to do whatever is best for me, whatever brings me joy, whatever brings me happiness. And the world that we live in today will measure your freedom by the work that you do and the money that you make. You hear this all the time. Oh, oh, you work for yourself? You have your own business? Man, way to be free. Way to be, way to be your own boss. Uh, that must be so awesome. You work for, for no one. And then we begin to categorize freedom based off the work we do, who we work for, and how much money comes in. And that is not the scripture's vision for work or for freedom. The scripture's vision for freedom was never based on the quality of life that you're living that enables you to do whatever you want. Actually, the scripture calls that bondage. The scripture calls freedom submission and submitting to the Lord and doing whatever he wants. Because ultimately, whatever he wants is what's best for you. You see, it's not about where you are working. It's about where the spirit of the Lord is. And wherever that spirit is, there is freedom. You could be working at a job that you absolutely dread and it's so physical and demanding and circumstances are less than ideal. But hear me, if the spirit of the Lord is there and he is there upon your invitation and your faith in Christ, you can experience freedom wherever you find yourself. You could be at home with the kids, aggravated and frustrated and grumpy and progress isn't matching your expectations and it feels like you're in bondage to your circumstance, but where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You could be making less than the amount of money that you want to be making, feeling like you're falling behind in bondage to your debt, but where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom ushering you into greater degrees of freedom that isn't dictated by your best performance or your worst performance. You see, the good news of the kingdom of God is that your work is not your primary identity or even the place you discover freedom. Rather, work becomes the place where you grow in your identity and grow in your freedom. The good news of the kingdom of God is that your work, your labor, is not your primary identity. It's the place where you grow in your primary identity and grow in freedom. Your identity, your freedom is not wrapped up in your performance or ability to produce. God's love for you is not uh, dictated by his acceptance of you or, or, or your performance. You could have really good spiritual days on earth or miserable days where it feels like hell is taking over and God's love for you. God's acceptance of you remains unchanging if you find life in Christ. 
This means, hear me, that there is grace for your life to stop, to end, to eliminate the endless attempts to justify yourself through your work and through your career decisions. Uh, work was not, to be, was not designed to be the place where you secure your identity and you show off to your family and friends that, that you're successful and okay after all. Rather, work can simply be another arena where God is glorified. Work can be another temple where you enter into his presence and experience divine transformation. Your identity, hear me, has nothing to do with who you are or what you are becoming or who you want to become. And, and that there's godly desires inside of your heart to become the best chef in the world or, or, or to get this degree or this career or hit these goals. Thanks be to God if he's called you to do very specific things, but they're never worthy of being your primary identity when the greatest privilege that you have is being identified with Christ. You see, the New Testament describes who we are when we are in a relationship with God. And the title that the New Testament uses to describe who we are in a relationship with Christ is rarely Christian. That's used three times. It's not even believer and it's not disciple. The primary title used is beloved. This word occurs 66 times in the New Testament and beautifully demonstrates the type of intimacy and the closeness that we have in our relationship with God. In Christ, we are God's beloved. In Christ, you are his beloved. Your primary identity is not your occupation, your skill set, or your ability to produce. Your primary identity is being a recipient of his unending, unchanging, steadfast, faithful love for you. God truly and sincerely loves us. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. A deep and profound love that God has for you that stifles any attempts to justify yourself through the labor and work that your hands can produce. See, Paul says that the freedom that they long for, the freedom to please God and, and, and the freedom that comes from justifying themselves, the freedom to walk in victory over sin is not achieved, it is received. It is received because Jesus has died to set us free. Likewise, our identity is not achieved, it is received from God in Christ Jesus. And the scriptures call freedom life in the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That means that you can walk into your job tomorrow and have a radical encounter uh, with the Lord if you faithfully make yourself aware of his presence and invite him into every area and aspect of what you're doing. And he promises to meet you and transform you, whether you realize it or not, because sometimes the transformation is simply one degree of glory to another but enough faithful encounters leads to 180 degrees of transformation. Your work, your job title, your current circumstance is not your primary identity. Your work is where you grow in your identity. Your work is the place where you faithfully grow as a follower of Jesus, as you behold him in every area and aspect of life, and you become more like him as he initiates this work of transformation. So what is God inviting us to do and reflect this morning? I believe it's answering these three questions for ourselves. How can I love God at my work? How can I love my neighbors 
in the spirit of the great commandment, loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and loving our neighbors with ourselves. How can our work be an avenue to do that? And how can I live fully as God's beloved here, where God has placed you and called you? If you want to take a picture of this or write it down, I invite you to bring these prayerfully before the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to help you walk out, live out, whatever he reveals to you. How can I love God at my work? Maybe, he's, maybe that looks like being generous with, uh, with your time and going in a, a little early so that you can prayer walk your building. Uh, maybe it looks like infusing intentional times of connection with them, whether it's on your break or lunch hour. How can I love my neighbors? Your neighbors being the people that God has placed right next to you. If you're a stay-at-home parent, your neighbors are your kids. How is God calling you to love them? Your neighbors are your coworkers, your clients, the people that you cross paths with the most. How is God calling you to display his love to them that they might see the glory of the Lord through you? Maybe he's calling you to be generous and take out a friend for lunch. Maybe he puts a word on your heart and says, I want you to pray for that person. And you begin to have gospel conversations. And how can I live fully as God's beloved here? How is God calling you to be fully present where you are, knowing that you are his beloved? And he's not waiting to get you to another ideal place so that you can become all that you envision for yourself. It can happen right here, right now. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let's pray.